Well, hi everybody, Lisa Tamini here from Pushing the Limits and welcome back to the show. It's great to have you with us. Uh, before we get underway with today's guests, uh, I just want to remind you that if you want to reach out to me, you can do that at lisa at lisatamati.co.nz or hit me up on Instagram. I'm really active on there, at lisatamati, Facebook, of course, YouTube. And head over, over to our website, lisatamati.com and check out all our programs. We'd love to help you out. Now, before we go, we're, gonna, we're having a really uh, a bit of a tutorial today. We've got a guest whose podcast I was on recently and who is returning the favor by being on mine. So we have a physiotherapist who is an expert in running, and he's going to be um, talking to us about the most common running injuries and what we can do with them. So welcome to the show, Brody Kane. Nice to, nice to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here, Lisa. Good morning. Yeah, aw awesome, Brody. Um, so, Brody, you're in Melbourne. Indeed. What's the weather like over there? <laughs> Pardon? What's the weather like over there? Oh, God. Um, it's pretty miserable at the moment. We had little specks of sunshine this, uh, this weekend, but most of the time it's rainy and cloudy and pretty well, cold. Not so, not so good. So, I just told <laughs> you the wrong Brody because I had in my head another lady. So, sorry, Brody Sharp, we've got on the show. <laughs> sorry for that faux Um <laughs> So Brody, um, we're going to talk about some of the most common injuries and what we can um, do about them and what your take is on them. But before we get underway, now you have a podcast. So tell everybody about your podcast, what it's about and why the heck they should listen to you to your show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's, it's called the Everyday Running Legends podcast. Yep. And I started it about oh, just over a year ago. And did it because um, I love hearing running stories and I love that, uh, like seeing in my clinic, runners love talking about running and being a huge podcast fan myself, I was just listening to all these running podcasts and just really wanted to get involved and noticed that I didn't want there to be just a podcast where I was interviewing the experts because that's like that's your role. That's you guys and all the other podcasts I've been listening to. And I just wanted to find just uh, everyday runners and just if they had a really cool running story, just to share that and try and spark some motivation in people because, you know, those certain types, unlike yourself, there's other people that do need a bit of like external motivation to, you know, listen to stories <laughs> and um, yeah, just get that spark just from everyday runners. And if someone's just starting to run and seeing uh, that there is like someone just like them and they're, they're training for a marathon as well, it's like, oh, maybe I can do that too. But yeah. the, in terms of the guests, the, the variety of the guests I have, um, they do get quite, um, uh, they are quite expert, some of them, um, but they, it's pretty much on a wide spectrum of the people that I interview. Some people doing their first 5K, whereas someone's, just finished an ultra or finished doing like a hundred marathons in a hundred days. So it's, it's a wide variety. <laughs> so right across the board, but all about inspiring yeah. and empowering other runners to have a go and to step up and, and take on, on big goals by the sounds of it. Yeah. It's less about like um, tips and tricks and more just like, how are you battling mentally? Like what's the stuff you're going through? What do you do for motivation? Um, and yeah, obviously just a really cool story along the way. Awesome. So there's people helping people. That's really, that's really awesome. Uh, and you're a physiotherapist. How long you've been practicing physiotherapy for? Uh, so this is my seventh year as a physio and I'm working at a private practice. And one of the other aspects of realizing, oh, well, working out that 
runners are the ones that give me passion because I wasn't a runner when I first started as a physio. I've been running for about four or five years. And as soon as I started running, uh, the seeing other runners in the clinic just give me a lot of passion. Yeah. And that's when that sort of spark went off in my mind thinking like, oh, maybe this is what I should do with my life. Maybe I should just incorporate running in a lot more facets within my life. Well, we certainly need more physios who know what the heck they're doing when it comes to running. <laughs> I can tell you. And I know that you've got a, because we've talked offline, a, you know, a dream to one day have an online membership site or, or some sort of thing online where you'll be able to deliver your physiotherapy and it's but you're not quite there yet but you do already have a website uh, you're running some actual classes in melbourne obviously most of my listeners will be not in melbourne but uh, if you are then you can check out um, your classes so tell us a little bit about your website your blog where they can find you there yeah cool so uh the last couple of months i've realized that i eventually want to open up my own uh, physio clinic with a running niche and uh, just d- taking small steps at the moment, I've opened up my own little side business called the Breakthrough Running Clinic. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, all it's doing is opening up two or three classes a week at the moment, just doing like fitness circuit classes for an hour tailored to increasing your running performance and decreasing your risk of injury. Ah. And that's going to be like a stepping stone into obviously um, once it gets big enough, opening up my own clinic and just realizing uh when i need to detach from my current job and just like start working on that yeah like we all do sort of start with a side hustle and and then hopefully move into mainstream yeah you 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 bring up a point so you're doing classes that are all fitness class based but with the purpose of improving your running skills so you Mm -hmm. obviously have a bit of a similar philosophy to me um running isn't just about collecting kilometers is it Absolutely not. No. And, uh, I feel like there's, there's always this type of population of runners that are like, Oh, oh, I know strengthening will really help me. Oh, I know strengthening will, um, you know, decrease my risk of injury, but they just never do it as soon as they're feeling okay. And as soon as it's once they're injured, they're just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I should start doing all my strengthening. Now I should start doing my rehab. And then once they're better and once they're in a good flow, all that strengthening, all that, all that work they've done just drops off until they're injured again. It's so true. And cause we all like to, you know, make sure I met my run or my Strava accounts, just collecting kilometers and looking really good. And, and nobody gives you brownie points for doing some workouts in the gym or some body weight yeah. workouts. And, and you can't, see it but man it is such an integral part of being able to run injury free isn't it to to do run specific strength workouts so we're not Mm. not saying going and lifting massive weights are we so what type of things do you teach in regards to strength uh yeah cool so there's several things that we could do um strengthening the hips is huge like the glutes are probably one of the most important muscles when it comes to running and um, so a lot of my, a lot of my classes are tailored to just smashing out the glutes, uh, calf work, heaps of calf work. Um, there's a lot of work, you know, how people do your standing, um, straight leg calf raises and just do a bunch of those. Yep. A lot of that time you're working your gastrocnemius, which, um, is like the muscle on the outside of the calf. And they really, uh, focus on the soleus, which is like deeper to that gastrox. And when it comes to the research at different speeds of running, your soleus 
works like between six to eight times your body weight. Whereas the gastrox on the outside is only two to three times your body weight, which uh, you're predominantly using when you have that straight leg uh, calf raise. And for runners mainly, you're not, you rarely have this really straight leg when you're running. It's usually bent, which recruits more of that soleus. And so it's just um, using those type of exercises to, um, so what's one, can yeah, you explain, you know, one or two exercises? Cause that's news to me. Um, yeah. Soleus, what, or the soleus, I think we call it, um, how, and how you would actually, you know, initiate that sort of movement to strengthen that. Yeah. Perfect. So you can, um, the, the easiest way is like you recruit your soleus when your knees bent yes. and you're still doing your calf raises. So a nice easy one is to sit down. And you put a nice heavy um, dumbbell right on like your thigh yep. towards your knee. And then you just start doing calf raises just ah, in sitting. And okay. you can do, um, you, if you want to get nice and heavy, it's really like uncomfortable to have something so heavy on your thigh. Um, you can get like a bar and just a towel in between like your knees and the bar and just bring it across the knees and then start doing calf raises. And wow. you, you, you try and go quite heavy. Um, the other way to do it is kind of just like a, as you would normal calf raises um, in standing, but just unlock your knees and yep. just hold on to a bunch of weight and start doing calf raises. But a lot of people get into the, it's it's really awkward to do unless you're, um, because you need to keep your knees bent and you still need to be driving upwards. And right. so it's kind of hard to coordinate if you haven't had that practice. So <laughs> a lot of people just start with sitting. Yeah, the sitting one, at least when you're, you've got access to a gym, that would be, you know, an easier option. All right, I'm going to learn something already. I'm going to put that into my yeah. <laughs> Because anything that can strengthen the calf, of course, is that's where your propulsion or part of where your propulsion comes from is being able to being able to push off strongly with your calf. So that would increase that. And Absolutely. Heavier, go heavier with that because you are wanting to build strength rather than endurance in, in, that, in that sense. Absolutely correct. And, and I kind of digress a little bit. So back to the classes, um, the classes, I also focus on a bit of cardio. So a lot of skipping and stuff, um, a lot of plyometrics. So we do like, um, drop squat jumps. And so you drop from a height, you land, you squat, and then you just quickly push off and land onto a, a higher sort of, um, wow. box. Uh, we do like these sort of rocket jumps, like a lot of plyometric stuff as well as strength. And always at the end of our classes, we do 10 minutes of stretching um, just to open up the hips, open up the, the spine, like your, your upper back, you know, needs a lot of extension and rotation when it comes to running. And so um, all of our classes tailor to, to stretching. Wow, that's actually another really good point. The upper body is something that runners think, well, my upper body doesn't need to do absolutely anything except swing my arms a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of interesting research when it comes to, to the importance of stretching because before, during, after running, uh, stretching isn't that vital, but there is research to show if you do two or three stretching sessions outside of your running days, then it can be quite beneficial. Absolutely. Um, and one caveat, like you say, like don't necessarily do like static stretching is a definite no, no before going for a run, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I say static stretching because that's what pe- most people like refer to, but um, dynamic stretching can be really good f- just before running. Yeah. So um, just increasing your body temperature, getting those high knees, getting those butt flicks and um, leg swings, all that sort of stuff can be 
can be really good before a run. Man, this is all super. This is gold. This is really gold for everybody, I think. Um, and in regards to the upper body, like I've found in my um, uh, my early career, I just ran. I never did any strength training. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just running, running, running. And we all started off not, know, not knowing what we were doing. And I had a very weak, flaccid upper body, if you like. And I mm-hmm. was very much after, you know, running ultras, you'd be bent forward. You'd be sort of, you know, cut, bent over at the waist. Your digestion would go. Um, your your the swings of your of your arm would go. You'd end up, um, and it, like your whole form collapses when your upper body. Sure. Is so I'm really big on on actually building up a little bit of back strength, like mm-hmm. to be able to hold your shoulders back to keep your chest nice and high and forward. Uh, what's your take on on that? Yeah. So um, I, I guess it's just holding like form like i don't think um at the moment i'm tailoring it to like endurance like ultra marathon type of distances um i do have a lot of side planks and are you familiar with like russian twists those sort of yep um my mum attends my classes sometimes and she hates the Russian twists and they're almost (laughs) in every week and so um the yeah just holding on to a medicine ball like sitting on the floor and then just uh leaning back and doing some rotations uh, making sure that the lower back is in a slight arch uh, yes. because that's the kind of form that you you will be in when it comes to running and just trying to train the endurance. So make sure it's not too heavy that you're really fatigued after five to 10. So make sure it's still heavy, but light enough that you can push out maybe 20 to 30 reps and just train that endurance. And then you have um, side planks, which if you everyone's kind of familiar with side planks, but if you wanted to tailor it to runners, um, grab a really small weight, like one kilo, two kilo, and just start doing some rotations. So tap the weight on the floor, keeping a straight arm, and then just raise it up to the ceiling and um, open up the uh, open up the upper chest and just that's because that's what the muscles you need to train. That's the position you need to be in when it comes to running. So um, it's kind of like a mobility but also a strength uh endurance kind of exercise yep that's great i mean I'll be, i do a lot of side planks but I'll, I'll add in that little weight that's a good that's a really good tip um and that's really important also for your breathing because once you collapse in the middle of course your breathing goes your lungs aren't mm-hmm. fully inflated or able to be inflated so that's a really important thing what about the core what about the core? Yeah. Uh, so um, it all comes, it all kind of works as a whole unit. Yeah. Like I really, I really use like core exercises in isolation when it comes to throwing a runner into some strengthening exercises. But um, like I said, like just before, if you're an endurance athlete, you need to make sure that you're training the endurance for your core. So doing your planks and things, but make sure it's not heavy and you're doing like low reps, make sure it's light enough that you can push out 20 or 30 and really feel the burn after about 20 or 30 because the core needs to be stable, but also needs to get you through that endurance event. So like you were saying with your race, as soon as it gets towards the end of an endurance race and you start dropping your posture and uh, it's the endurance that you need rather than the strength to, last throughout that whole entire distance um so half muscles you're suggesting going a little bit heavier because we are trying to build strength in that muscle but yeah 
I mean, it depends on the distance you're running. I, I'd imagine exactly. If you're a five yeah. then you probably need a whole lot more explosive strength, and you know, than if you're running a hundred miler. Would suggest. Um, yeah, and the the thing is because like with my classes, when I'm doing all these strengthening exercises, I I have to kind of tailor for everyone and I have to tailor for the ones who are just doing their couch to 5k app and just starting out compared to the, the person who is training for a marathon. And I've actually got someone who's training to do seven marathons in seven days. (laughs) And I actually have people who are just starting and doing the couch to 5k app. So they're all in my class and why we work out, why we do the strengthening for an endurance athlete is because you're raising up the the muscles um its capacity and so every every muscle every ligament has a certain load capacity and why people get injured is like 80 percent of all those injuries out there for runners mm-hmm. they they get injured because they've exceeded their load capacity in some some part of the body right. and so any strengthening any heavy sort of strengthening stuff raises that load capacity and makes it harder to get injured in a way. So yep. it's harder for you to push beyond that load capacity uh, to, to get an injury. Yes. Yep. And the endurance mm. side of it, so doing lighter weights. And, and so that's all about being able to maintain over a longer period of time that, that form and that um, I know with, with um, in my case, I had a really bad back injury um, and or still do. I've got four discs that are completely Buggered. There's nothing oh, no. left here. Yeah. And um, so I broke it when I was in my early 20s. And so for me, core work has just been absolutely vital. There was a time when I didn't do a lot of core work and I had a lot more pain. And I had you know, a time where I thought my whole career was over because of uh, the bulging discs and the, the pressure on, mm. on nerves and the horrific spasms and all the things that you get. Um, and instead of going down the surgical route, I went and just absolutely hammered my core over a period of, you know, a good year. And since then, touch wood, not a single pain, not a single spasm, even though, you know, getting older and theoretically it's getting worse. It should be, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how important I think core is because it protects also your back. Can you comment on that? Yeah. So like I said, we try it. If you were to come into the clinic, we'd tailor tailor our approach specifically to you, and with your back history, like with that type of um, uh, kind of damage or that kind of experience that you've had, your back muscles will lack that strength and will lack that endurance. And there is a little bit of evidence to show that people that do have that um, those sort of experiences and those conditions. Um, the core probably isn't firing the way it should. And so um, even with that injury, it can waste a little bit of the back muscles depending because you've probably had a bit of rest and um, those, the muscle firing probably isn't recruiting those muscles the way it should. And so we would tailor definitely a lot of core sort of exercises for you and training. Uh, There's little like we call multifidus muscles throughout the back, which are responsible for holding the, the spine in a, a good alignment when it comes to uh, the lower back and just smashing out those, getting them to fire, getting to work, build up strength and all that sort of stuff just to, to really have a, a back that's oh, yeah. built for running. Yeah. And can really s- sustain those loads. Yeah. Cause when, I mean, when I say core exercises, I mean that whole area. So like the whole 
you know, your back, your yeah. lungs, you, even your glutes, your hips. Mm-hmm. All that area really is is part of that whole complex, isn't it? Yeah, and then glutes as well. Really, really strengthening yeah. glutes. Yeah. So what? Okay, let's um let's go into a couple of exercises that maybe you can explain that would be simple to explain, obviously without a visual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like. Give us a couple of glute exercises if you've got something. Oh, I'm glad you asked this because I have a favourite. Um, okay, so they're called crab walks. If you've ever done crab walks, yes, and uh. So very prominent in my classes as well. You, uh, if you have those TheraBands, like those stretchy elastic bands. Yep. And uh, so you can either, I like to put them just above the knees. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of research around where you put the bands, whether it's around the foot, ankle or knee to recruit different kind of muscles. But I usually prefer around just above the knees because people can hold form a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so really heavy bands. I like heavy bands. And what you want to do is put the band just above the knees and go into a bit of like a a quarter squat. Mm -hmm. And so when you go into that quarter squat, you start walking sideways and you try and make sure it's always good to like do a demo because people just take a big step and then a big step back. So the feet kind of come together with their second step, but you really want to try and maintain that squat and keep really wide knees, really wide feet and you're just doing really small steps, left foot, right foot, really small steps and keeping the knees really far apart and really, and keeping the feet really wide apart. And you're just um, separating the knees and putting a lot of tension on that band. And you really should start feeling the glutes firing if they're all working correctly. And um, yeah, you can progress that by doing those crab walks up on toes if you want to recruit a bit more calf and the knees bent. So we're working that soleus muscle and that's got to be one of my favorites um, because you'll feel those glutes burn really quickly. And if you want to try, I usually try and get my clients to take about 20 steps and for 20 steps, you should be only covering about maybe three meters. And uh, so you're taking really, really small steps. So 20, 20 steps up, 20 steps back, have a rest, you know, hit the glutes a little bit, let that fatigue kind of recycle. And then uh, three, four sets of those is really good. Yeah, that's that's. I only manage about ten, and I'm like, ah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, go back the that's other way. Push myself a bit harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, those things are really good. Actually, those those Terra bands are, are absolutely fantastic for a number of in, in different ways, eh? Um, yeah. And, the, and that one really gets on the outside, isn't it? The absolutely, yeah. You re- you really should be feeling it. And then uh, another good exercise I like to do is. Because we're, we're working sideways, but runners like to go, you know, back and yeah. forth. So it's uh, if we want to try and tailor for that plane, uh, doing some like Bulgarian split squats, which are just like a lunge. If you can imagine a lunge, but your back foot is up on like a bench yeah. um, and you're going down into a, a squat and then coming back up. Mm-hmm. So just working in that kind of plane uh, really suits runners and it can recruit a lot of hamstring, a lot of glute. And it's, it's quite a tricky exercise. If you're finding it too easy, just hold on to some weights. And uh, yeah, you, sh- you should be really fatigued really quickly. And then that yeah. can um, trigger into like uh, rocket jumps. If you So if you put like one foot up onto a box and then you're pushing through that leg that's up on that box and like launching yourself into the air, um, that can like start to recruit a little bit more plyometric sort of power and strength. But that same, using the same kind of muscles, but, um, instead of doing this slow, heavy stuff, you're doing this like explosive, um, these explosive movements. That's really, that, that's, that's fantastic. So that's something I've always had trouble with is, is the explosive power, obviously. Yeah. 
being an long, long distance endurance athlete, you lose that explosive power. And it's something that I've been working um, quite hard on in, in the last couple of years with mixed results. I probably need to come and see you and tweak because <laughs> <laughs> it's not been my area of specialty. Um, what about box jumps? Is that a good thing to be doing? Heaps, yeah. Love my box jumps. They're really <laughs> cool. Um, What's the trick? Now, I spent bloody years trying to do those you know, really high box jumps on the, on the, you know how you have the three different sizes on the box? Yeah, yeah. And I could never do the top one until about three weeks ago. And I just, oh, congrats. Oh, yeah, it's big. It's a big deal. You know, like, oh. <laughs> um, the reason it's a big deal is like, I just thought, well, I don't have that explosive power. I've never had it. I've trained it out of myself. I've got, you know, I made all these reasons why in my head. And then I was watching again and again how people do it. And I realized suddenly, hang on, it's a technique thing, partly. And it's yeah. a mind thing very much with the box jump, isn't it? Um, and when you go into it, you have to jump. Like I, I still, when I, when I go to, to the gym today to do one, I won't be able to go to the highest one straight away. I have to go down and work my way up so that I can get that mental ability that I can do it. And the yeah. first couple of times I'll go to jump and then I'll, you know, and I won't be able to do it. Um, so it's very much, it's a, it's a good metaphor for life actually. Um, so what are some tricks for that? Oh yeah. What are some tricks? So I I guess just starting out small and just working on a really good technique. I like to make sure that when people launch off and land onto the box that they're doing it a bit quieter. Mm -hmm. So a soft takeoff and a really soft landing, not just doing this really hard thud. And it's really obvious as soon as they land on the box, if they're just doing this, they're smacking down on the, on the, the box um, try and land a bit softer because we want to run quiet and we want to run soft as well so just trying to do that as quietly as you can uh, recruits a lot more uh, a better landing strategy with like the ankle calf component um, but like you said there is a bit of a, a technique to it you use a lot of arms to really propel yourself um, and it's just about like recruiting different muscles so if you're doing a lot of skipping if you're doing a lot of um, if I mentioned that um, that Bulgarian split squat where you're doing a lunge with the back foot on, if you were to go down into a, a lunge and then just try and take off in the air and try and lift your foot, your front foot, like, you know, a couple of centimeters in the air and then land, it's just training a lot of this like um, recruitment, yeah. getting that power because when runners start getting to their thirties, forties, fifties, a lot of them just find a distance, uh, find a speed that suits them and they just run at one distance yeah. and the body gets used to that. The body doesn't get used to, uh, recruiting all these like power muscles and they're just like sustaining that, that kind of like slow twitch um, muscle fiber. You really want to get a, a decent variety of um, recruitment through the muscles. So if you're not training a lot of like quick, like sort of explosive movements, you're not really going to um, adapt to those box jumps. And so um, I would say just trying to really recruit a lot of um, that sort of muscle fiber. So doing a lot of skipping um, is a good one, a nice, easy one. You can do that, you know, me I'm in my 50s. Um, is that possible after 30 years of doing the slow stuff? Because I have struggled with it in the last couple of years and I have made progress for sure. So I have, but um, yeah, still don't have the seem that seem to have that bounce that a 25-year-old would have, you know. Yeah, it's tough. And it's we're talking about intensity and... Uh, um, you do lose a bit of that intensity as you get older. 
and as the muscles start to you know stiffen up a little bit and they lose that recoil yes. but um it can be it can be strengthened it can be retrained you just have to take it really slowly yeah. but um anyone can skip anyone can do anyone can skip on like one foot if you can't do that you probably shouldn't be running <laughs> um <laughs> But then just try. <laughs> then with skipping, um, um, just again from my experience and some of our athletes, if you do, if you, if you go from zero to doing a lot of skipping, um, you can end up with troubles with your Achilles and yeah, um, yeah. People think like when they run, um, oh, if I if I do a lot of running, I should be able to skip. The skipping's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. You're jumping up and down on one spot instead of like trans transitioning forward and going from right to left and kind of doing this like gradual fall and just catching yourself from falling. It's, um, it's a lot different and it's a lot to propel you up. So only just skipping for like a minute or two, um, to start off with, it can be quite profound and establish a lot of, or rebuild a lot of um, foundation. Yeah. Skip for 10 minutes when you haven't skipped before, or you're going to end up in big trouble. (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah, so building it up, building it up. Um, that's really good. So what about, uh, let's, let's move into um, foam rolling and uh, myofascial release, um, mobility work. What's your take on, on all that sort of good stuff? Uh, what's my take? So um, each to their own when it comes to foam rolling. A lot of people love it or love to hate it, you know, whatever, way, whatever angle you want to yeah. take on it because um, <laughs> it's never a really pleasant experience. <laughs> I really like to use the foam roller um, if I was to use the foam roller for all of my runners, it'd be on upper back mobility. So you can easily like place the, the foam roller on your upper back, across your upper back and like arch backwards to create that extension mm-hmm. um, or do a lot of rotations. So if you're uh, in four point kneeling and the foam roller is just like resting alongside you um, just to get your opposite hand and put it on top of the foam roller and then like roll th- push it forward so you're actually rotating through your upper back Mm -hmm. um it can be that can be uh implemented for every runner and then when it comes to myofascial release and um like calf release all that sort of stuff um it it would depend on the individual it would uh because not everyone needs it but some people really need it and that's when you have to look at someone's running biomechanics and if they're really stiff in a particular area then start doing some stretching, then start doing some foam rolling because I talk about the evidence when it comes to stretches, there are some um, populations who are really stiff and mm. the, the stiffness in the muscles is actually impacting their mobility when it comes to their running. Yep. And they're the ones that really run, they really need a bit of stretching before mm. a run and they do need a bit of um, foam rolling and that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 And they can benefit from it more than, than someone else. What about, you know, your typical ITB band issues um, Mm. and uh, rolling, so foam rolling, not just down the side of the ITB band, which is what everybody seems to do, but more across ways and and across the front of the the leg. What's your take on that one? Um, I don't use that a lot, to be be honest. The... um, a lot of people, I do see a lot of people with um, ITB issues and there's a pretty common um, running condition, which is ITB friction syndrome. And it's pretty much like pain on the outside of your knee when it comes to uh, running. It's like a repetitive sort of stuff. So if you're doing like a consistent, a lot of downhill runners tend to get it. But yep. if you're just doing this repetitive same terrain sort of thing, yep. um, if you're 
uh, I want to say technique or the load has changed. Um, you get, you see with a lot of females because their hips are a bit wider and if they contact their foot right underneath them, their, uh, the angle of the hip kind of comes inwards and puts tension on that ITB, which can, uh, flick the, the bone just on the outside of the knee and just like, it just rubs consistently. And if you do like a long run, it could just rubs, 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 and then ends up getting really sore. Um, so I do see a lot of ITB issues. Yeah. Um, but what I find really effective is to, um, calm it down by getting people to start running uphill and then walking on the downhill. So they're avoiding that downhill thump. Um, and trying to, it's really hard to, to train someone, but someone who's an experienced runner is really in tuned, uh, just getting to widen, widen their stance a little bit. Cause what the issue is with ITB issues with the ITB friction syndrome is that cutting in of the foot. So if you've got a wide hip and you're yeah. contacting your foot yep. almost in the midline, and some people even cross the midline and contact on the other side, um, that tension on that ITB it, it is a bit too excessive. So and so just training someone to widen their stance a little bit can really that. offload. Yeah, yeah. So you're, it's, it's hard to do. Yeah, so you see girls with, yeah, that, you know, got wider hips, maybe smaller waist, and then it tips inwards. So the knees are tipping inwards and they're not yeah. moving up scenario. Is that sort of what mm-hmm. you're missing? Yeah, you can see it pretty obvious. Like if you just run, uh, if you see, uh, I say females because they're the most common that have yeah. this, this sort of presentation. But um, if you look at a, a female runner who isn't that really that strong through the hips and they're contacting their foot like directly underneath their body, they have this angle of their knee that's just like um, it really like cuts in mm. and they, it leaves them really prone to that type of issue and um, patellofemoral pain as well, which we can talk about in a second. Yeah. But um, so the, the real issue, we can change their training. Like I said, we can decrease their load, increase their heels because they're not bringing their knee into full they're not straightening out their knee when they're running uphill. So that can offload that ITB really well. And yep. while that's calming down, really try and do a lot of strengthening through the glutes because yep. that will pull your knee back out and avoid that sort of collapsing in of your knee. Yes. And um, yeah, just training them to, to widen their stance a little bit, which as soon as I say that to people, if they're on the treadmill and I say, Oh, can you widen your stance? They go, way too far beyond what they should. And they're, they're like, sort of like running side to side. So they're just jumping side to side, but it really needs to be a difference of like five centimeters to make all the difference. Wow. That's a really good, it's a really good one. So yeah, for, for the girls out there struggling with that, got perhaps slightly wider hips, that might be something to try out. Um, patella from, from, uh, what did you call it? Patella, patella femoral pain. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's probably the most common injury when it comes to running. And like I do talk about changing um, technique and increasing strengthening. But like I said last time, with all running injuries, 80% of all the running injuries out there are just uh, an increase in load. Like someone's increased their load too much Mm -hmm. and that started causing it to break down. So when I get someone into my clinic, we always go through, okay, what's your training been like? Um, have you increased, are you training for a marathon? Are you training for a race? What increase in volume has there been? What increase in speed has there been? Have you changed your shoes? Have you changed the terrain? And we're trying to identify if there has been an increase in load and then managing that. Cause all we, if all we need to do is that and say, okay, you've gone from 25 Ks a week 
to 45 Ks a week. Okay, let's have a week off and then just slowly get back into it and just slowly ramp up. That's sometimes all you need. That's but, why the structure of a good structure plan is really important so that you can yeah. come into that overload. Yeah, and just while I digress a little bit, while we talk about increasing the load, if I get someone into my clinic who started getting knee pain and we try and identify everything to do with their running uh, to, and try and identify an increase in load, if there's none of that, there might be something that decreases their capacity. So um, this is what gets ignored a lot of times, but sometimes a lack of quality sleep oh, yeah. increases in stress and anxiety sometimes medications like anti-inflammation uh, medications um, and just like uh, reducing the, the quality of, or like recovery, all that sort of stuff can actually reduce your, your load. And so you can do nothing else and you can do no change in load, but just if you're increased, if you're anxious or if you've got increased stress at work, that can decrease your body's ability to recover and you can start getting these overload injuries without doing any change in your training. Yeah, we so, have um, a wellness checklist that we get people to, to check in with themselves every day before they go running, especially if they've got a big session coming up today or a hard one. And it checks off things like your hydration, your stress levels, how did you sleep, have you got, you know, uh, did you have good nutrition in the last few days? And it just gives you a, a score of 1 to 10 and then you sort of add up, oh, crikey, I'm, I'm, I'm really low this week on sleep and hydration and nutrition or stress levels. And it's sort of like, don't go out and do that big smashing workout that you were intending to do. Just take it a little bit back. Um, because it, the, these sort of things, and I'm so glad you brought up that about anti-inflammatories causing, can cause problems. Um, hormones are another thing, you know, um, the changes, changes in hormones or for ladies who have been pregnant recently and things like that that can also affect the, the actual muscle, the strength and the elasticity of the muscle. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool that you're implementing something like that because it's what a lot of people miss. It's what a lot of people don't really see. And they're like, why am I getting all these injuries? And um, they learn about like managing their load. They quantify their load. They're only just ramping up slowly, but they're not, they're not realizing like there's a whole nother game when it comes to body recovery and body performance. Exactly. We're, we're, we're a whole person, you know, and we have yeah, exactly. Life. I think as trainers, we try to take a holistic look at the whole person's life, their stress mm -hmm. levels, their, their career, their kids, their whatever's causing them. You know, if we were all 20-year-old professional athletes who didn't have anything else to do but train all day, it'd be great, but that's not the case for 99% of us. Yeah. So yeah. we take into account all of those sort of aspects of it um, when we go to do our training and not just let it out because it's on the training plan and we try and teach people to read your body first then apply the training plan and using your brain <laughs> you know perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah um i've gone off on another tangent i can talk about this stuff all day but we were talking about patellofemoral pain um so yeah the one of the most common injuries when it comes to runners is patellofemoral pain and it's almost like you'll know it, it, it's patellofemoral pain if it's pain in the knee and you can't really localize it. Like with ITB friction syndrome or patellar tendinopathy, it's like this one point and you can kind of, if you ask where's your pain, they, they get their finger and they point to one spot. Whereas patellofemoral pain, they kind of just like, it's kind of vague and they're like, oh, I'm not too sure. It's like the top of the kneecap or around the side. I'm not too sure. And um, that's when you can know that it's patellofemoral pain and it can either be, 
when I first started learning uh, about this condition, when I, when I first became a physio, they talked about the kneecap is not tracking well enough. And so it can either, because the patella, the kneecap is just this floating bit of bone. It's literally just floating and it's influenced by all the fascia and all the muscles attaching onto it. So if you get one muscle that's a bit weaker on one side and one that's a bit uh, stronger or tighter on the other side, it can just drift it out of its groove a little bit. And if it's drifted out of its groove a little bit and you start running, you're going to start getting these sort of issues. Uh, you're going to start getting this sort of pain. And so that's um, kind of just like the layman's term or like the layman's example of that type of uh, yeah. syndrome. But it can also show that you can get patellofemoral pain with everything fitting really well, but just doing too much, like not being a runner and then just running for 5K. It can just irritate that joint a little bit. And so it can be a bit of a load issue rather than a weakness, tightness issue. And that's when seeing a physio can identify these sort of things, what, what the go might be. So can you, what, um, two things on that one. Um, you, you hear a lot of people, oh, I started running and I got sore knees, so I realized that running wasn't for me. And that just mm-hmm. makes you go like, oh my God, you know, you've just missed it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> at the first sign of trouble, and usually it's with the knees um, and that mm-hmm. type of pain, they just think that they're not suited to running and give up, which is tragedy. Um, yeah. And the second thing is, um, what are some exercises that you can do then to help that area? Is there something you can strengthen or is it just a, a, um, having a good structure plan that doesn't load you too fast, too much too soon? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will say train your VMO, which is like um, if you were to straighten out your leg and look at your quad, it's that really big bulgy sort of one that's on the inside of your quad. And uh the VMO, um, they say that because it has the, like the fibers, the muscle fibers tend to um, have this orientation where it tends to uh, impact, well, it connects with the kneecap on the inside. Um, so everyone's like, oh, it controls the position of the knee. So let's just smash out the VMO. But a lot of the evidence uh, over the last couple of years have just said just a lot of quad strengthening, just the whole entire quad complex, just trying to strengthen that up. And that's like squats, that's lunges, that's, you know, um, just slow load when it comes to running because that will strengthen your quads as well as long as it's not a load that's um, producing pain. Um, but in the like really acute stages, if someone's got it quite severe, uh, doing some taping, some like patellofemoral taping can be really, really effective. And wow. I, see, I see clients where I get them to, for someone who's particularly irritated, like step up on a, a step and they're like, oh, that's about like a, a six, seven out of 10 pain. And then you tape them up in a certain position. Like you tape, you tape their um, kneecap either up or across or any sort of direction and they step back on. They're like, Oh, that pain's down to like a one out of 10. And so if you were to, um, if you were to tape them up and let them go about their normal day without getting that irritation, it's going to recover a lot quicker. And then when they first, when they get back into running, maybe just tape it for a couple of runs and see how it responds. I was actually taping my knee, um, a couple of weeks ago when I started running, getting back into it um, because I was getting a bit of pain. And then after the, the body gets used to it and the, there's no more pain, take the tape off and just slowly start increasing your loads. And uh, it, can be, it can be quite um, 
quite an effective treatment and still keep people really active because a lot of people, when they get this pain, if they don't see a physio, they rest and they rest for two weeks and then they come back and it's still there. So I'll rest for another week. And then you've done three weeks of nothing and get weaker and the body's load and the body's tolerance reduces. And so they try and get back into what they were used to doing. And then that flares it up again. And it's just like this downward spiral of getting weaker, getting weaker, getting weaker, and being able to do less and less and less. Whereas we try and keep running. It's really hard for, for an athlete or a runner to know sometimes when is it the time to rest and when is it mm-hmm. something like that's actually proactive towards getting back to normal but not dropping it. Because like you say, you stop running for three weeks, you're going to lose a whole lot of strength, you're going to lose a whole lot of the stuff that you've already worked for, let alone your fitness, obviously. Um, and and some, some things you can work around and through and other yeah. things, you really have to, you know, like, and this is when it's really, really important to when you're, when you are injured, if you are an injured runner, it's really important to see a physio who is a runner or has worked with a lot of runners, because if someone's not a runner, a physio is not a runner, they'll tell you to rest. Yeah. And if they haven't been trained right. And if they, um, if they don't see this too often, um, they'll know that, well, if you do rest and then you try and get back into it, it's a lot harder. If there's something you can do to yeah. maintain some strength, if there's some sort of running you can do without flaring it up, you have to do that. You have to keep active. And um, I see a lot of GPs as well. Well, people come in and say they've seen a GP yeah. and they say, oh, my GP said I, can, I, I shouldn't run. Oh. I'm not a runner. I shouldn't run again. I'm oh. like, ah, that GP oh. wasn't a runner. You know, you yeah. definitely know. I know it's just so tragic when you hear that, and people are like like they, they they literally stop forever, and that's the end of their running career. And it's like God, you didn't even yeah. try, you didn't push even a little bit. Um, let's get get on to the last thing then before we we have to wrap up for today. Um, plantar fasciitis, another thing that and Achilles uh, are two other major problem areas. Mm-hmm. Um, things that I know I've had trouble with in the past. What's your what's your tips on those? Yeah, cool. So um, they're they're kind of the same complex, but they have to be treated a little bit differently. You'll start to know, um, we'll talk about plantar fasciitis a bit because um, pretty characteristically, when you get this pain, it's right underneath your heel. And it's kind of, um, you can kind of tell it's it's coming on with your first few steps in the morning. And a lot of people tend to ignore these symptoms and then they just keep running and keep running and keep running. And then their steps in the morning get worse and worse and worse. And they're so much harder to manage and so much harder to get rid of. Um, if you were just to listen to your body initially and say, Oh, I'm getting a bit stiff or a bit sore. This is for a lot of injuries, a lot of tendon injuries as well. If you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling that great and you're getting a little bit of pain here and there, and then it's happening a couple of mornings in a row. And then that sort of pain is um, getting a little bit worse and worse and worse. Maybe you're doing a bit too much. Maybe you're lacking in recovery. Maybe you're doing too many consecutive days. Um, and really just recognize that and decrease your load before it becomes an issue. So with this um, plantar fasciitis, there's um, usually, yeah, characteristically pain in the morning, pain with your first few steps. Yeah. And it can be a load issue. Um, Sometimes if uh, someone's transitioning into like a minimalist shoe, um, a bit more barefoot stuff, it's just a lot more impact. And I'm a big advocate for minimalist running, minimalist shoes, Um, but it needs to be a really slow transition because you're not decreasing load anyway. You're just shifting load. And when it comes to minimalist shoes, 
all that load is pretty much going away from uh, the hips and knees and down into your your calf, your Achilles, your um, plantar fascia, your foot. So stress fractures are like it's right. um, just shifting that that load all the way down and can, if you are strong enough, can be a more efficient run. Yes. But you're definitely leaving yourself to a lot of um, issues below the knee if you're not strong enough for it. So yeah. foot strengthening. With the barefoot stuff, you know, I think, you know, in an ideal world, you know, if we'd grown up barefoot, then we'd probably have feet that would cope with it. Yeah. Shoes and then you suddenly transition and that's where the problem comes. And even suddenly transitioning to a zero drop shoe, but still cushioned, mm-hmm. but zero drop, even that, uh, I know for me, is, is, is caused major troubles in the past. Um, and like... If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's sort of the approach I take yeah. with that. If you if you're having trouble with cushion shoes, then you might want to try you know something different. And yeah. whatever you do, you need to transition really, really slowly and carefully, and not just go bang. I'm going to run a half marathon barefoot tomorrow, or in five and five finger shoes, or whatever. Yeah. You <laughs> um, you you're asking for for major trouble. So, is there a couple of exercises just to wrap up? Um, Achilles, one for the Achilles, one for the plantar fasciitis. So if you have got those problems, um, so this yeah, is one cool. you work through. This is one that you reckon, as opposed to the patellofemoral pain, not so much. You shouldn't like just work through it and keep going. Uh, yeah, so you can still work through it. It really depends on the um, condition. Like you can do some really nice taping for um, to support the arch. Mm-hmm. Um, I if I was to keep them running, if they're not irritable, uh, if they have low levels of pain, you can still run. It's like you look at their load and you say, are they doing 10 Ks a day? Are they doing five Ks a day? If there's someone who's doing say on average five Ks three times a week, which is pretty typical, but they're still getting Achilles pain or still getting like plantar fasciitis waking up in the mornings. I'll say, okay, can we just walk run for five K? Yeah. And if we just walk run, like walk for, uh, two minutes, jog for two minutes and just do that instead of just jogging for the whole entire time. Let's see how the, the morning pain starts to respond and it tends to drift down. Yep. So you're still keeping people engaged. You're still keeping them uh, running. Uh, but then we can say, okay, let's look at maybe um, for the next couple of weeks, if they are a minimalist runner, can we wear a bit more of a bulky shoe and, and then just do some jogging and walking and see how your morning symptoms start to um, start to play out and that can be just enough to settle down the plantar fasciitis and once that does okay let's transition back into your shoes nice and slowly and then get back into it so that's just an example of how you can keep someone still running while managing that injury but if we're talking about like a strengthening exercise like you're saying um, a really nice one, which is kind of easy to explain, if you've got one of those TheraBands again, those elastics or stretchy bands, is uh, you just sit, you just put your foot on the ground, you wrap that uh, TheraBand around your uh, big toe, yep. and then you just pull on it and try and keep your big toe uh, on the ground, yep. try and keep it there. And so as you put more and more tension on that band, your uh, your arch, the arch of your foot starts to engage because it's trying to fight that resistance to the band. So make sure that that toe is nice and comfortable on the ground and you hold that for about 10, 15 seconds and the muscles in the underneath the foot start to work, start to work harder and harder and harder um, without like really overly irritating anything. And you could, 
if anything, you can just start with that. If you want to start, if you want to do some light calf raises, I like to do calf raises with slightly, um, slightly engaging like the toes, like you're almost trying to scrunch the toes, but just that very first part of scrunching the toes. Um, so you're not curling them, but you're just engaging them and engage them as you come up into a calf raise can really integrate a lot of the, the muscles within the foot and it engage, uh, encourages the, the calf as well as all the little intrinsic foot muscles, which is what you need. You need those nice and strong when it comes to minimizing this plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Um, so just doing that, that TheraBand exercise and just doing those calf raises, that's pretty much all you need. And then just ramping up that load and making that, uh, that exercise harder and harder and harder um, can get you to return back to running in those minimalist shoes or doing that same load that you're doing without that morning pain, those morning steps. And that can be quite nice for the, um, Achilles as well. If it's purely like an Achilles tendinopathy, you can push a little bit and there's some, um, really nice loading exercises you can do for your Achilles, um, depending on your level of irritability, but there's some really nice, like, um, what we call eccentric, like loading up the Achilles and getting them to people to drop on a step or something yep. can be really nice. If it's that, uh, that low level of irritability. That, look, this has been absolutely so invaluable today, Brody. Um, it's Brody Sharp. Brody, once again, what is your website and how do people find you online and your blog and so on again? Yes. So um, I do a blog once a week with all things running and um, the Breakthrough Running Clinic. So my website is called breakthroughrunning.com.au and um, <clears throat> you can you can reach out there. I do have um, a Facebook page which the blog also goes to so it's the breakthrough running clinic if you want to just type that into facebook um i do have instagram so it's the the breakthrough running clinic on instagram um and then i guess the the social medias for that um for that clinic and then the podcast so it's everyday running legends um you can just search that wherever you find um your podcast that you're listening to yeah do that because i was on it a couple of weeks ago so that was yeah listen to that one listen to lisa (laughs) look you've been absolutely wonderful thank you brody sharp for being on the show today for providing such massive value there's some trips and tips and stuff that i've picked up for sure and a lot of stuff what uh, we agreed on which is really nice because then you know people tend to not listen to me all the time (laughs) maybe (laughs) Maybe they'll listen to you. That would be really great. Um, you've obviously got a huge depth of knowledge and I look forward to when you have your online um, things working because uh, your, your membership working because then we'll be able to collaborate more and be Absolutely. able to help more people with their running and avoiding injury. That's the main thing. So thanks very much for being on the show, uh, Brody Sharp. Thank you. You're very welcome.